to this episode of Agency Nation Radio. I'm Marty Agatha, and today I'm joined by Catherine Turnus, also known as Cat, who <laughs> is VP of Revenue with Agency Zoom. Howdy, Cat. Excited to be here, Marty. How are you today? I am absolutely fantastic. It's a wonderful day. Uh, spring has sprung here in the Northwoods, so it's actually getting warm. The ice not off the lake yet, but we're getting close. I don't think I have any ice left, so um, I am the promise of good things to come, I guess. <laughs> you're, you're well, rumors have it that you're actually part of the Columbus Insurance Mafia. Is that true? Oh, God, the rumors are out there. I thought we, I thought we had those taken care of, if you get what I mean. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> part of the uh, Columbus InsureTech Mafia, if you will. There's a ton of really awesome carriers here. And then I've spent my whole career on the InsureTech side. And yeah, I, my uh, wedding reception looked almost like the vendor hall at <laughs> most of our... <laughs> Uh, that that is an image that uh, will stick with me for some time. Very good. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> so it tell was... me, Kate, what exactly does a, a VP of revenue do? Oh, God. Everything. <laughs> Everything that uh, touches revenue. So when we start our journey uh, as a prospect or a lead, I head up our marketing team. So I oversee that whole team as to current customer marketing, prospect marketing, you know, acquisition. As we get further into our sales funnel, I oversee our whole sales team. And then as someone becomes a customer, we have a customer success team that is meant to train them and make them better, more successful. <laughs> and then we have a customer support team as well. And the customer support team is there for future requests, the little questions, the in and out stuff that's a lot easier to handle. So I oversee those four teams and make sure that a customer who brings in revenue uh, feels valued too. All right, so marketing and sales are pretty straightforward. Everybody everybody has a pretty good grasp of those things, but talk to me a little bit about how you define the differences between customer success and customer support, because in, often in, in many organizations, that's the same thing. Yeah. For us, it's a lot different. So the CRM space is not very populated in the insure tech world. So there's a lot of people that have an agency management system, but don't have a CRM. And our customer success team at first gets them used to using a CRM with their agency management system. And you know we're fortunate to integrate with a lot, but they get them used to new ideas, process changes, big improvements. So if you think about having a CRM and just the idea of how you would use it or train your salespeople to use it, that's our customer success team, making you more successful. Our customer support team is there two weeks later when your producer forgets how to add a lead or forgets how to do click to call or send out a text, you know, or struggling to upload a picture or a document out for signature and stuff like that. That's what the customer support team is there to do. So um, they put out fires very much, the customer support team, when something pops up and has already gone wrong. They're really the ones that put out fires. My customer success team, they're kind of forestry management, if you will. <laughs> they're making sure, hopefully, as often as possible that we're you know, clearing debris, 
that uh, Smokey the Bear has a great educational program about uh, not starting even forest fires. Success is proactive and my support team is my reactive team. Right. So, yeah, that's exactly. So customer support is basically taking inbound calls and customer success, I would assume, is 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 uh, is scheduled meetings with defined objectives. Absolutely. That's a great way to think about it. Our customer success team also reaches out to agencies that don't realize they want to schedule a meeting. So that's something that at the scale we operate because we have grown so quickly and we're a pretty, you know, servicing a pretty large group of agencies. We also have the information uh, on when are you outgrowing it? So our customer success team is the one that comes along and says, hey, Marty, it looks like you've been doing X, Y, Z. You're probably ready to try this new thing as well, all with it, you know, and you already have access to it. Let's teach you how. So they'll um, actually continue coaching and moving you along past what you maybe even know about or, you know, initially came to us with as well. So you're doing that by analyzing uh the metrics of the specific agency to understand utilization and and sort of the depth of that they're plumbing the project or the the product is that correct you betcha yeah we can see when because of the tools that we even use to work with our clients and take good care of them we can see who's signing in on a daily basis maybe we have some employees that are less engaged we can see if a marketing director starts to sign in and begins to build a campaign for contractors or restaurants, things like that. We can see how long they're spending on each of the pages even. So I can see, you know, it looks like Marty has spent a lot of time trying to build this template for a restaurant campaign. Probably time to reach out to him and see if he just needs a little help. You know, maybe he's getting kind of caught in the weeds and we could do a lot in a 30-minute meeting to help Marty that would save him a couple hours otherwise. So yeah, that customer success team is that proactive outreach when we have a multitude of different signals that we keep an eye on that tells us that somebody maybe needs a little bit of help or is even ready to move on to the next level. That's pretty impressive. It's great that you're capable of, first of all, being willing to help your clients to that level of degree, but more importantly, that you've got the capabilities to analyze sort of their utilization and understand where the roadblocks are. I want to go a little deeper on that if we can for a minute. You talked early on about the um, sort of the fact that you're bringing the the relative unfamiliarity of of agencies and CRM and the fact that you're trying to lay lay down new processes. Talk a little bit about some of the processes that you see that are where, where agencies struggle with the concept of CRM. Yeah. So I think a lot of agencies over the years through no fault of their own, and even with the support of other vendors over the years, have tried to turn their agency management system into a CRM. And the agency management systems have stepped up to the plate and tried to help. But what they're trying to do, metaphorically speaking, is they're trying to haul their filing cabinet into a coffee meeting. You know, if I show up to coffee with you and I have a little notebook, Marty, you wouldn't think I was bizarre. But if I show up, you know, huffing and sloughing and like pulling for dear life, you know, five <laughs> drawer high file cabinet into coffee or when you first walk into the office, you'd be like, God, Kat is a strange, strange woman. 
<laughs> and that's what we've tried to do with our agency management system. We've taken this powerhouse, this data warehouse, and tried to bring it to conversations that really just need us to be present. And we certainly need to log some amount of that information. We want to make that in an informed conversation, but we don't have to bring everything to that meeting. So what we do as a CRM and what a lot of agencies struggle with understanding is I'm preparing you to go to that meeting with the most relevant information, not all the information, the most relevant time-sensitive information for Marty. And then all the tidy up work after, you don't have to do that. Because that's the other thing that we've seen over time, and this is almost technology iterating over the years, is there are so many people in our industry that think of documenting activities for the sake of documenting activities. If I send Marty a text, I need to document that in my file cabinet, you know, in my agency management system. If I send him an email, I need to document that in my agency management system. So this new concept of a CRM where it's, no, just go get coffee with Marty, have, be a real human being, and then have your system follow up for you and send a text or send the email and your system will naturally grab it. You're not documenting it for the sake of documenting it naturally happens just from the sheer progression of the relationship that you have as a human being, I think that's where some of the confusion comes. And it's been funny because we have, I think now over 55,000 users, obviously we have our agency owners who bring it on and they make the decision. We're going to use agency zoom. And then as you can imagine, multi-generational different styles, different areas of the country, even we come across some salespeople that aren't so happy to have agency Zoom. Month or two later, once they start using it or once our customer success team sits down and says, Kat, what's your process? And I say, I don't need your stinky software. Uh, I just get coffee with Marty. And we say, oh, okay. Well, whenever you get coffee with Marty, just drag and drop him from contacted to quoted or from new to contacted. And we're going to send him a text saying, hey, Marty, great getting coffee with you today. Thanks so much. Suddenly the light bulb turns on. So I think the disconnect right now is everybody thinks that by having technology, it means you're going to haul around this huge filing cabinet. And that's just not the case anymore. And then they think that the more they do in technology means the more they're going to have to manually document. And again, that's just not the case anymore. The whole point is to enable people with automation and with you know the software to have more humanized interactions and instead of being an administrative hamster you know stuck in the wheel <laughs> sending out all the crazy stuff constantly you're going to spend time talking to people you know not doing all the little redundant tasks right i there's a couple of things going on there first and foremost i think salespeople and being a salesperson this you know, it applies to me if no one else. You know, salespeople are to some degree inherently lazy, right? And we hate busy work. What we like is the work that's act that's getting us to actively uh, work with a with a with a prospect and ultimately closing the deal. Busy work seems like it's a waste of time. So that's number one. Your comment about the dragging the filing cabinet with you uh, reminds me of uh, what a dinosaur I'm turning into, but. 
way back in the day, there were uh, some very early attempts to create automated application systems. And I bought one of the first color-capable laptops to use with one of these application systems. And I used it about twice before I realized that, you know what? Trying to enter data into an application form and being regimented in, in the order that the questions flowed mm-hmm. completely blew my relationship with the prospect. I was working with the machine, not the person. And that is death in a sales environment. So, And I think we're seeing that more and more too now is there was a time that you went to a salesperson and you sucked it up and you knew you were dealing with a salesperson. Now we're talking, especially about in, in the insurance space, where we have these insure techs that are going direct to consumer, we're talking more and more about matching the customer during their customer journey. And what is your customer experience? You start in marketing and then you move into sales and then you know your CSR and your account management team picks it up. But all of that represents your agency, your brand, what you're gonna be like. So yeah, if you have salesperson who shows up to a small local business and they sit down and they go through some regimented questions and they're a glorified order taker, well, when the business owner leaves and goes to lunch and meets another order taker at a drive-thru, it doesn't leave a lasting impression about your agency, you know, in their mind. It's like, uh, they ask me, do I want ketchup and salt? Uh, Do I need any utensils with that? God, that sounds a lot like that meeting I just had at 11 a.m. with my insurance agent. (laughs) Not who we want to be. Do you want the broad form or the special form? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, We want, you know, to be truly consultants. And I'd certainly rather know a little bit too much about some people than not know enough. Uh, And I think that's where we're starting to realize between prescribed experiences between targeted marketing that we see, that truly differentiating ourselves and competing against the direct-to-insurance model, you know, the lemonades, the roots of the world, there's a lot of great ones out there. But for the local agent to truly compete, I have to be a local agent. I have to be a local, real human. I'm not going to out-bot a bot. And that's, that's the reality that we're facing now. And I think that's why we've seen so many agencies that have started with agency Zoom is they're trying to get back to the basics, their actual salesmanship skills, and they're trying to get to spend more time as real people, you know, with their actual customers. Okay. Remind me to send you a check after we get done with the podcast, because you just walked right into the perfect spot for me to make this comment. I sit (laughs) on the Agent Council for Technology Act uh, Customer Experience Working Group. And we've just released uh, a new tool at, uh, if you go to the Big Eye website and you you click on the Act tab, you can find the new worksheet that will evaluate your agency from a customer experience standpoint. It's a nice, powerful tool and it it points out resources. If If you've got areas where you need a little help, perhaps it's your website or perhaps it's you know, in your uh, ability to, to allow customers to, to leave testimonials, we'll point you to resources and stuff like that. So I just wanted to let everybody know about that. But but you said something earlier that that I want to get back to, and that is you talked about an insure tech and, and these new direct-to-consumer models. 
when we were talking in our prep for this call, you, you talked a little bit about a book that that's on your shelf and maybe by your uh, nightstand uh, called <laughs> Goliath's Revenge. I want you to tell our uh, audience a little bit about it, why you think it's, uh, why, why you're reading it, first of all. I finished. You'd be so proud. I actually had enough time in my life to finish a book. The amount of books that are three quarters of the way done and uh, sit somewhere for me to finish that last 25%. It's kind of sad, um, but I actually finished it. So it's a good read. Uh, yeah. Goliath's Revenge. I picked it up a little bit out of fear, quite frankly. So I had seen it come as a recommendation from Kurt Walker, who's the CEO of Nationwide. And he mentions in there about the whole premise that Goliath's Revenge is Big companies turning disruptors, the little guys, to me at the time, like an agency Zoom, and taking it and kind of like shoving it back at them, like taking the skill and the value and the cool things that we get to do as smaller, more agile companies. And how do you put that in Goliath's hands and become innovative yourself, a disruptor yourself? You know, what things can they learn from us um, that turns this story? outcome to the other way. You know, Goliath wins. So I started reading it from a cautionary standpoint. I'm like, oh God, you know, if the CEO of Nationwide read this book and he's thinking about disruption and all that, there's certainly an avenue a carrier could take to just turn the whole market on their head, especially one, you know, as big as like a Nationwide. So I read it starting there. And then the, the part that started to become interesting is it's probably been a six month read. You know, I read it pretty slowly. <laughs> it's not a long book, but I was just kind of slow because I have so many. Agency Zoom continued to grow and we became almost the Goliath of our own space of CRMs within insurance. Uh -huh. um, so it was, it's been super fascinating because there's six premises really on how you, um, you know, be, are able to, and, and revenge just feels like a, Dirty word. I don't want it to sound that bloody. <laughs> uh, but if somebody knows, you know, the David and Goliath story, revenge sounds pretty bloody. So I guess thinking of it, it's how do you take what smaller companies are doing well and use them as a big company to turn your own practices into an opportunity for self-reflection? You know, what are we doing well versus what can we do better? And giving credit where credit is due to the newer, smaller companies. And I think, you know, as I think about him having read it, I'm sure he's looking at the direct-to-consumer model. So that was an interesting lens to read through is, you know, how does a carrier look at direct-to-consumer when their distribution channel is independent agencies? And then for us, like I said, there's obviously huge CRMs out there that aren't insurance-specific. And in that case, we're the David and they're the Goliath. Um, and in our own market, you know, with over 6,000 agencies that we've worked with now, we're the Goliath and somebody else is the David. So yeah, it was it's it was a really fascinating read. And I have to admit, you know, I've gone back and reread some of the chapters even because they're pretty meaty, but it, it was a really good book and I I've loved reading it. All right. Well, if we talk about our primary listening audience, it's agents, and I'm sure we've got some carrier folks on the on the line as well. So they might resonate more from the the Goliath perspective, as you said, uh, Kurt Walker nationwide, but most agencies would not be considered a Goliath in, in any way, shape or form. Talk to me a little bit about sort of what, what lessons might be learned about 
for that audience? Right. So there's six pieces to it. And without giving away the whole book and still telling people they should go read it, um, I think thinking about each of the six here and if people take it away and, you know, spend some time during their drive while they're listening to this or, you know, while they're eating their lunch in the afternoon after having heard this and they reflect on the six, they'll be headed in the right direction. The first one is step change. How do you address change? How do you make incremental improvements? And you start with customer outcomes. And the thing that's interesting is they recommend that the Goliaths, the big guys, you start with your most conservative customer. So the Davids in this scenario are encouraged to work from your most innovative customer back. And there's some really awesome agents out there. I think of a Ryan Hanley, Matt Namoli, Bradley Flowers. They've really defined you know, the forward edge of their customers. And they have good agencies that continue to grow. You're, they're the Davids, you know, they're not Goliaths yet, but they do an amazing business and they know exactly who their innovative cutting edge customers are. The Goliaths of the world go after the mainstream market. That's, you know, I have a gentleman that's on our agency board of advisor. That's your agencies that 10 years or so ago were the big time guys in town or they're the biggest one in your state and they work with niche markets that are hesitant to change, their personal and commercial lines, even just general sales process is really, really steady. So the book advocates for step change that they start with their conservative customers and they tell the Davids, you know, you guys start with your most invigorated, excited, innovative customers. And then you end up going to war at the middle, which if anybody's familiar with product adoption curve, that middle point is called the chasm. And that's a whole book we could get into in and of itself. <laughs> so, yeah, one is step change and you and how you address step change, whether you're a David or a Goliath. The second one is big versus little I innovation. Um, little I is doing what you already do better. And I don't think this applies necessarily to a David or a Goliath. So I think a local agency could do this, you know, knowing what you do well. Talk to your customers, find out why they chose you, be involved with that, and do it a little better. That's little eye innovation. And then big eye innovation is for my agencies that hopefully have, you know, three to 10 people set aside time to do big eye innovation, which is where you start to think outside the box. The key to doing that, though, is you have to prioritize the time to think. You know, no creativity comes out of a rush. If you've ever been in an argument with someone and then gone to bed that night and thought, God, I wish I would have brought up so-and-so. My wife would have let me have that extra beer. <laughs> That's the you know bane of creativity is being rushed and being heated. So big eye innovation can't be rushed. It can't be heated. You have to prioritize setting aside time to think about it and just have clear thought. And that's why I say, again, a David could do it. You're probably going to need enough staff to have a little free time. You certainly, again, can't be a single man shop and do that. But you don't have to be a Goliath to accomplish that either. Give yourself your lunch break. Give yourself the drive home a certain day of the week with no radio. You know, don't listen to silly podcasts like this. <laughs> Take the time to just have clear thought. So that's two. Three is how do you compete with disruptors? And that's using data as your currency. And it's an overused term because we keep hearing data, data, data in the, in, you know, in the independent insurance channel. 
And quite frankly, most of us don't know how to use it. And data isn't worth much if it's just sitting in the big filing cabinet. So, you know, number three, competing with disruptors means using your data. That's your advantage, whether you're big or small. Obviously, if you're big and the Goliath, you have more. If you're David and you're small, you need to figure out how to get more in a scalable way. Four is tapping your partners and leveraging your partners. I had an agency that I talked to last week that said, I pull my carriers in and my underwriters in when I need help. That's fine. You know, again, as a David, be more nimble, be more agile. You can do that. Five is having the right team. And then six is one that I think is um, almost shamed in the insurance space. Six is don't be afraid to reframe your purpose. And I think when you, you know, having started this portion of our conversation, thinking of our independent agencies, I think they think that if they've inherited their office from a family member, if they've even, you know, acquired it over the years, having been with the agency, or even if they started 10 years ago, I think they feel really married to their initial purpose. You know, David's there to take down Goliath. And I don't think that it always represents who you are in that moment, in the here and now. And you cut off a lot of your potential by saying our purpose is the exact same thing it was 10 years ago or the exact same thing it was before I bought it from the previous agency owner or the exact same thing it was when my mom or dad owned the agency. I don't think we should depart, you know, and ever compromise our morals or completely change our business. But I think there's a very real reality that sometimes you do have to, without any guilt, reframe your purpose. Um, And I think that's actually something that the Davids of the world can probably do a lot better and a lot more intentionally than the Goliaths. So I, I hope that's something that my independent agents can reflect on and feel less guilty about that change. Yeah, it's that specific spot in and of itself is is it can be a challenge for for many agencies. There's a um, there's a level of uh, heritage and and tradition that in many family owned agencies makes makes that that change difficult, which is unfortunate because the truth is in 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 many ways worked in the past is far less effective today and mm-hmm. continuing to do business in the same way, even though even though the, the marketplace is changing, uh, is a recipe for, for slow-term loss of business and ultimate collapse if you, if you don't manage it correctly. Right. And I don't, I don't think there's a world that we don't have to be grateful for it. But again, bringing my startup experiences here, and you mentioned, you know, the Columbus insurance mafia, <laughs> all kinds of different businesses, you know, I've been at a business pre-revenue. I've been at businesses that are doing very, very well. And there's a term in the insure tech space that I'm not sure gets put into my independent agency channel. And I'm not sure it necessarily makes it to the carriers either because they're already the Goliaths. You know, they're already operating at scale. But in the startup space, you know, the insure tech community, we talk a lot about what got you here won't get you there. And that can be a process, that can be your purpose, that can be even an agency owner. There is nothing wrong with being extremely grateful, appreciative, or even continuing to have an agency owner stay on if they want to stay involved in the business. But it's not 
dirty or it's not wrong to have a business outgrow your experience. It's almost a badge of honor to say I've taken it to such a point that it is successful beyond my abilities and it's ready for the next thing. It's it's kind of that proud parent, but also that like bittersweet parent moment where you send your child off to college. You know, you took them to their first day of kindergarten. You were concerned when they went to, went to middle school, very concerned the first day they drove the car to high school. And then college, you know, sharing my parents' feedback, at least on it, they're like, it just felt different. You know, I helped you with your homework a little bit in high school. I sat there and watched you do all of your homework when you were in first grade, second grade. College, or the point that we get to with our businesses, what got you here won't get you there. And again, it doesn't have to be wrong and it's not a bad thing, but there comes a time where we all have to identify our own professional limits and make sure we're doing what's best for our business. If we're doing what's best for our business, we're going to be doing what's best for our employees and our customers too. There's no point in having an agency, to your point, Marty, that has this slow impending death, you know, that's just sitting on the edge of the grave, swinging their feet in a pre cut grave. It's just not. It's not beneficial for our customers either. There's other small business owners. There's households that rely on you providing great service. Continue to do so. Do your best. And if it outgrows your skills, that's a testament to how successful you were in building the business to that point. Absolutely. Hey, there's one thing you said in there that uh, I want to uh, draw a little further. And that is you mentioned the book Crossing the Chasm. And uh, I just want to throw that out there to our listening audience, um, Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore. It is an absolutely seminal book. And mm-hmm. it basically talks about the, the challenges of, of a new idea and how do you get it from inception until uh, into the mainstream. And I, I won't go any further with that. But if, if you have any interest in, if, if you're trying to pioneer a new marketplace, if you're, if you're working on maybe some new technology that you're trying to implement in your agency, it's a dynamite read. So uh, put that on your list. All right, Kat, I've got one final question for you as we get ready to roll out of here. And and we talk about, you know, this is a wonderful industry. We've got a lot of, uh, we've got a lot of future in front of us, but there are, there are definitely some challenges out there. And and given what we've talked about today, what do you think is, uh, one of the bigger challenges that that our agencies face as as we move forward in in the new world. You know, I think I'm paid (laughs) by somebody out there to say that it's going to be sales and it's going to be automation and it's going to be customer relationships. But quite frankly, right now, if I'm an agency owner, I'm terrified about recruiting. I am terrified about the future of my agency and the ability to recruit. Because we have got into this environment where we aren't bringing on new technology. So when a salesperson can come work at Agency Zoom or a salesperson can go work in your office, I've got better technology for them to sell. So even if they have that willingness, you know, the heart of a salesperson, you said it yourself. And I'll admit it myself. I've been a salesperson too. We're a little lazy. It's going to look like a much easier road to go work at agency zoom than actually in one of the agencies it's going to be the same thing too as far as training you know i think we think about 
licensure and all the other hoops and such that we have to jump through. And we say, we do so much training. There's always continuing education credits. That's not all of it though. You know, there's so much more that you have to do around sales skills, training, culture within your agency and building a good training program that they do understand your purpose as you, you know, find that and mold that over the years. There's not the same perpetuation that I think we have. I think there's a pretty big gap. I have a lot of, you know, agency owners and even senior salespeople that are about my age in the industry now, both on the insure tech and on the agency side. And I have a lot of them, but my teams, my agency owners that are 55 plus, they outnumber us, you know, 10 to one. The average age of an insurance agent over the last 10 years, it hasn't held steady. It's increased by three or four years now. We're getting older as a group and we're not beginning to combat recruiting style, you know, a good candidate experience. We talk about customer experience now, but we're not talking about a candidate experience. We're not talking about what it attracts, takes to attract talent. And we're not talking enough about what it takes to retain talent and whether that's, you know, good sales technology, whether that's a company culture, you name it. I, I think it's a blind spot. I think we're going to end up finally getting caught up on everything else we're supposed to be doing. You know, we're going to have cool technology. We're going to be good at our niche markets. We're going to have this cool community brand and all that stuff. And then we're going to walk into the office one day and say, where'd everybody go? (laughs) You know, and Jim's retired and Joe's retired and Marty has retired and Kat's getting old and comes in kind of late now. (laughs) You know, I I think there's, um, I think it's going to creep up on us a lot faster than we realize. Um, So that's my concern at this point is I think insurance is incredibly important for, you know, a local business, uh, for a homeowner to improve their financial literacy. You know, we need to have local independent agents and we need to have technology to get the job done. But we still need people. And I, I think we're I think we're kind of forgetting our people. I want to go back to uh, something you said and tie it into your earlier discussion of Goliath's revenge. And mm-hmm. that is when you were talking about training, you know, one of my one of my big sort of soapbox items is that for too long, agency leadership has been focused on sort of the least costly denominator, right? How, how do I get policies out the door and spend the, the least amount of money to do that? And so training was something that has always suffered. And, and of course, coming out of the tech side, you know, my, my, my thought process was always that participating in all your automation technology solutions in sure tech, in sure tech operations was critical because if you, if you aren't out there sort of rubbing elbows with the, with the people that are really tweaking and, and, and driving the system as hard as it can go, you don't understand and you're falling further behind, right? But you specifically said, you know, we need to think about training. I want to broaden that just a little bit and go back to your concept. I think it was the second point, might have been the third point in the book, big eye versus little eye innovation. Let's talk mm-hmm. about little eye innovation. I mean, that is a it, that in itself, it's not necessarily training or, you know, education, but it's exploring. And that's the kind of stuff that I think is critical in yeah. your in your quest, right? Because the same thing. Maybe you've you've had an opportunity to bring on a couple of uh, 
individuals to join your agency. But if you don't challenge them, if the job isn't fun, if they don't get a chance to stretch their wings and learn new things, they may leave you for yeah. cat's, cat's office, right? So the point is, is that that, that little eye innovation where, where we go into a meeting with the concept of, okay, what do we do well? Now, how do we spread that inside the four walls here engages people at a, at a deeper level? Absolutely. And and it's a it's a leadership trait as well. You're never going to have time for big eye innovation. Like you're never going to have an hour long lunch that's quiet and serene. You're never going to have a 30 minute drive home that you can think if you haven't started little eye innovation with your team. And the precedent that's being set now as we start to look at big companies, you know, the Googles, even the Salesforce, you know, the Goliath to my space, the Salesforces of the world is for every $1,000 in salary, you should be spending $50 in training every year on that person. So if somebody is a $50,000 a year employee, have a $2,500 training budget that is put aside for that person. So that's your, you know, that's your math on it. And when you yeah. put $2,500, you know, Marty, you're the agency owner in this example. If you put $2,500 into little eye innovation for cat to learn how to do what we already do better, suddenly you get as the agency owner, a lot more time for big eye innovation to think outside the box and prioritize, you know, how quickly you can make those changes because Cat's not coming to you interrupting your lunch break saying, Marty, how should I handle this? Cat's already been trained on how to handle that. And Cat's already been trained on how to make our own God blessed good decisions. <laughs> so right. I think again, that the training component becomes really important in retention, but also in having in also in having the opportunity to innovate. Absolutely. All right. So I know you've got a podcast out there. Tell me about it. <laughs> I do. It lives on Agency Nations. It's called The Rules Still Apply because as I've shared, one, I read too much because I'm a nerd. Granted, I'm really bad. You know, if you ask me about the last two chapters of a book, I may struggle to tell you about that stuff. But I love, love understanding other industries because it gives me a chance to do my big eye innovation to think outside the box. It also helps me just keep my head up in, in every atmosphere and stay curious. That is what I think of as my podcast being for in insurance. So when I say the rules still apply, I'm bringing some of the best sales leaders from outside insurance to remind us that what happens at Amazon, what happens at Staples, what happens in Salesforce, you name it, applies to us too. You know, somebody buys a breakfast sandwich from Chick-fil-A and gets into a fender bender on their way to work. And then they call your insurance agency. And if you're not as friendly, as gracious, and as helpful as Chick-fil-A, you look bad, but the rules still apply. And that's on like, you know, the most micro entry level employee type thing, let alone when we get into managers and directors and vice presidents, as we get into bigger and bigger agencies, you know, there's a whole environment around what's happening outside of insurance. You know, your competitors aren't the agency up the street. Your Goliath is not the agency up the street. It's the people 
that interact with your customers daily that set the rules when they still apply to you. And that's, that's the fun that I'm having on my podcast. And I get to interview like really weird kooky people. So that makes it a little more fun too. (laughs) Who's the target audience? My agency owners. I like my agency owners that drop in and listen every so often because they're the ones that really need to hear it. I have agency owners that as soon as I post it, you know, they send me a LinkedIn message a day later and they're like, Kat, I listened yesterday on my way home. It was so exciting. I'm glad they listen, but they're not my target audience. They're already listening. They're already actively listening. They already know that the rules still apply to them. And that's why they're trying to overcome it. My favorite portion of my target audience and the ones that I'm trying to get in front of more and more are the people who are skeptical about listening. And they're like, eh, I'll bite. Who's cat talking to, you know, this month, who's cat talking to this week or this time, or I think I've heard of that guy or that gal before. Yeah. I'll listen to cat yammer to them for a while. (laughs) So I like the uh, casual, the occasional listener, because I think they're the ones that when they leave and we keep it to about 30 minutes, I think when they leave, they're the ones that most needed to hear it. So they're, they're my targets. I love all my normal listeners, but they're my targets is trying to help those who would otherwise think the rules don't apply. All right. So if people want to connect with you, what's probably the best way that they could do that? The best way to truly ever talk to me is 100% text. I'm sorry. I'm a guilty, terrible person. My inbox gets full and I try and catch up to it. But admittedly, from you asking at the very beginning, what's a VP of revenue do? I do so many things that I'll admit my inbox gets pretty full. Um, So texting is always fastest. So if you're already somebody that I'm friends with, absolutely always text me. (laughs) It's the easiest way for me to see something. Secondary that I'll make the offer out to most anyone listening to this is LinkedIn. I go to LinkedIn when I have brain space to learn new things, to read some articles, you know, to scroll through and broaden how I, you know, see the world. So I'm most receptive and most likely to respond to ideas, new people, any amount of those things on LinkedIn. So I would absolutely say best place if somebody's like, Kat, I heard you mention something. Can I pick your brain on that? Easiest way to get in front of me if we, you know, aren't already close is probably on my LinkedIn and just shoot me a message. Connection request inbound. <laughs> you bet it. You betcha. All right. Well, we're at the end of our time here, and I want to thank you so much for helping us out with some great advice, some insights, some stuff for people to chew on. I think there is a a ton of interesting information, and clearly, Goliath's Revenge, I think, has many things to say to our industry. So I would recommend to folks that uh, if that's not on your reading list, that you add it. And we look forward to having you join us here at Agency Nation Radio for another podcast in the near future. Kat, say goodbye to our audience. (laughs) Goodbye, audience. Thanks for hanging out for the last bit and have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you very much, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.